Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend, watch an episode of the classic sitcom The Facts of Life, then I hit record, we talk about the show and anything and everything else we might be inspired to discuss. My guest this week is Daryl Pickett. Daryl was here around Thanksgiving time, and I said, come on back here. So I brought him back for another episode, more fun, more frolic, more fancy. One thing before we start is last week, if you remember, I told you I couldn't find the message where a dear devoted listener had answered the question of how many students were attending Eastland. Uh, To remind you, the student body is 200, revealed at the end of season nine. Well, I figured out who it is. Uh, He wrote me another note. Thank you, Pete3000 on Instagram. I love you, Pete. I so appreciate it. And uh, it was a DM on Instagram that for some reason I didn't see. I'm not as Instagram savvy as I wish I were. I'm really, really more committed to Facebook. That's where I focus most of my energy. And that's really only because they dragged me kicking and screaming away from MySpace. You may hear in my voice that I'm a little bit sick. Yes, I'm sick again. I was sick over New Year's and I'm sick again. Shut up. I'm treating it as best I can with as much sugar and caffeine and chocolate and lack of exercise. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm staying the course, people. That's all there is to it. So back to this week, Daryl and I watched season four, episode 13, called Magnificent Obsession. And the original air date was January 12th, 1983. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Daryl Pickett. Welcome back, Daryl Pickett. I feel very welcomed indeed. Uh, it's, I was thinking like, God, he was just here, but it's been 11 weeks. 11 entire weeks, I know. That's it. You last were here, season four, episode two, right at the very beginning of the season. Yes. And what episode was it? Uh, That was the source. That was the uh, big issue episode. The the abortion one. That was the abortion one. Oh. That succeeded in sidestepping the issue. uh, Yeah. Pretty pretty entirely throughout. The the non-issue issue. issue. But I I guess we were to be impressed that they even talked about bringing it up. Yeah. It was one of those like, well, if we dance around it, we're still maybe a little bit brave, but not really. But not not entirely. (laughs) Daryl and I just watched season four, episode 13, called Magnificent Obsession. It was directed by, of course, the wonderful Asad Kalada and written by Linda Marsh and Margie Peters. They're the women who course corrected the entire series back in season two. And they've been on hand as producers for some time, ever since then. But you don't see many scripts actually written by them. So this was a little, like, when I saw their names appear, I was like, oh, okay, good. They're still actually writing writing as opposed to supervising others writing. Um, And the original air date was January 12th of 1983. And uh, do you know what the title means? Magnificent Obsession. I feel like there's there's some kind of movie with... That or similar title? It's a movie, yes. It's actually been two movies. It's been two movies? Yes. Okay. It is a novel that was written in 1929, and then it was made into a black and white movie in 1935 starring Irene Dunn and Robert Taylor. And then in 1954, a Technicolor version was done starring Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson, directed by Douglas Sirk. Oh, my. 
And uh, so if you I'm, s- I'm thinking this is some kind of romantic drama. Uh, well, yeah, it's be, Douglas Sirk being involved means right. absolutely that there's a uh, a melodrama yes. component of it. And God, the Douglas Sirk, are you familiar with the movies? Oh, I yes. love them. Oh, yes. But it's it's kind of a gay requirement. It's a gays love the Douglas Sirk because of the the glamour factor, because of the uh, the melodrama and the romance. It is a romantic story, but the interesting thing is the obsession is not like a person obsessed with another person. In fact, it's about, um, uh, through a series of extremely heightened, over-the-top circumstances and tragedies, that Rock Hudson, who is a rich asshole, for lack of a better, more elegant expression, who is confronted with basically having to start being a good person. And it is presented to him and to us in this spiritual but not too spiritual way about if you start doing good things and maybe doing good deeds anonymously as opposed to living only for your own pleasure and uh, it eventually is something that will feed upon itself and you will be happier. And, and they were say that this, this sort of snowballing cycle of goodness is, will become a magnificent obsession of ah, yours. Right. So, yeah, to, to hear the title, you think it sounds more like a stalker almost. Right. Last thing I just want to point out is uh, All That Heaven Allows, the follow-up to Magnificent Obsession. That was, of course, the film where Jane Wyman was the older widow who takes up with the sort of handyman about the house who is younger than she and all of the stigma and judgment she is subjected to. And just for the record, she was 38. She was an old, dried-out, spinster widow hag at 38. At, at 38, yes. And the the cradle she was robbing was 29-year-old Rock Hudson. Oh, indeed. And uh, it's it's just bizarre. Oh, Hollywood. Um, well, I think we're ready to jump in, don't you? I think so. We start off in the cafeteria and got to stop already. Cannot proceed in typical me fashion. I have to point out that this is a very weekend heavy episode. So we have a lot of street clothes. Yes. I believe we have three, if not four, complete sets. I think there's three, actually. Complete sets of street clothes. And... Um, uh, trying to uh, edit my comments and make them more, uh, let's just say in general, it's about more of the same of what we get. We get some Argyle sweaters over blouses. That's fine. Add a bow tie to it. You're like, really? Um, we've got sweatshirts. We've got Joe in her Lumberjill plaid shirts. And uh, Blair, as usual, is not dressed nearly to the full capability that she could have been dressed sure as a quote-unquote stylish rich girl but anyway um and i think all of them like it was like the most of them had jeans on the entire time so they just changed the tops and uh anyhow um so we start off and we are in full swing preparing for what daryl we we have a save the seals protest coming up mm-hmm. and uh and, and boy, the first thing that hit me, first of all, was that 
uh, before anyone said a word, there was that kind of pause, that, that space of, work. That, that, that yes, that 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 you're like, yeah. Are, are they are they ready to go yet? <laughs> it's just Mrs. Garrett like walking across. The or is it Mrs. Garrett or someone else? But yeah, it's just that sort of. We have to establish activity. That's right, so we, and and make you see everyone is here and doing something. Uh, yeah, uh, but but then the, the the very first thing. So so Tootie has made a, a sign, mm-hmm. a save the seal sign. Yes, which she has attached to the stick upside down. Call oh, that Tootie. Oh, I tell you. And when this is pointed out to her, she says, "Well, baby seals are too young to read." <laughs> it had a, a, a visual image, a, a drawing of a seal. Yes. And it was like bloodied and stuff. Yes, like, and, yeah. and, and and I thought, well, uh, they'll know that's upside down. They may not be able to read, <laughs> but can they interpret images? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. This is my argument that they don't use a laugh track on this show because that was a clear setup yep. joke punchline. Yeah, and it got nothing. Nothing. No. And even with Tootie doing her <laughs> type of a thing. Yeah, odd. <laughs> and I have to point out, this was this was a big cause at the time in the early eighties. Yes, the, it was. It sudden somehow somewhere it became very uh, prominent in our culture about the clubbing of the baby harp seals. That's right. And I remember that's incredible. Did an entire story about it, and they had to cut back to Kathy Lee Crosby saying, "The images you're about to see are very brutal." And we, you know, parental guidance is yet. And they showed they actually oh, showed yeah. them clubbing them, skinning yep. them alive, yep. and it was. Uh, yeah, pretty awful. Pretty awful, and 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 then interestingly, for you know, once that more serious cultural moment had passed, it it stuck around as a you know. I remember when I was in my sophomore year in college mm-hmm. that um, uh, you could just say the two words together, "baby seals." Oh, and a certain number of people around you would go, "Oh," <laughs> and start talking about how worried they were about it and all that sort of thing. And it was just those two words. There was a it. They carried a lot of, yeah, uh, associations and and kind of unfocused concern. Yeah, and I don't know whatever happened with it. We don't I, hear much do, about the baby harp nor, seals. Nor do I. Nor and do I. I'm sure it's because the problem was solved. 100%. Oh, of course. And we have no more cruelty to animals right. on well, the and planet. And save the whales as a catchphrase came not long after that and, mm-hmm. and had longer legs. Oh, totally. Or, 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 or bigger fins. Uh, yeah, nice. Very well. Very well done. Uh, so funny you bring that up because a couple of weeks ago, we had Mrs. Garrett and uh, her older boyfriend discovering they were politically at odds. Mm. And it was it manifested itself through Mrs. Garrett saying, we're going to a Save the Whales rally. And the person being dismissive of, oh, really? And then she talks about union lettuce. And I'm like, this is really, or that was really, the first time the facts of life really delved into true blatant liberalism. Like, there was a sense that, well, these are girls, and these are girls of the 80s, so they're modern and progressive, and certainly there's the girl power feminist slant that one would expect, but this was, like, where they full-on, and like I said, in Reagan's America, this is where they were going full-on liberal nut job stuff as the right would portray them. Do you agree? Oh, yes. yes. That, that back in those, in the early 80s, yeah. the, the Save the Whales, No Nukes, unionizing 
Right. All that stuff was considered. That was yeah. That was that was the the nutty left. Yeah. The yeah because yeah Reagan was the one who brought order and conservatism and it was honestly it was it was an earlier uh, less obvious. Trump situation of make America great again. Right. It was like, it's 1980, and this guy who was a movie star in the 50s will restore yes. literally the law and order he restored in all the cowboy movies That's he right. Made. That's right. So, yeah, the 80s were a very, very generally conservative time. A, a very conservative time. And, and, and I mean, I grew up in a conservative, two conservative households. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I mean, that's... And I don't know if it was a response to... Norman Lear shows that I watched or whatever, but I mean, I started slipping left all by myself. It, well, yeah, uh, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> you and know. you didn't have you didn't have the advantage of being gay as far as I did not. Gay automatically pulls you in that direction where you start you question everything in the right. establishment because you're like, wait a minute, right. people like well, me don't have equal rights to other. What the fuck? Right now, see, uh, from my point of view, I stayed I stayed involved with church things. Mm-hmm. And liked it. I liked feeling like I belonged in that, but mm-hmm. that I started to see a conflict between the apparent teachings of yeah. Jesus and the way in which conservatives were willing to treat certain yeah. members of society. And I had a long way to go. I had a long, a long way to get to uh, whatever level of wokeness I have achieved. <laughs> <laughs> I had a long way to go from there. But but that I, about in that early eighties. That slip started and it never stopped. Mm-hmm. So uh, with all this activism and activity going on, finally we find out what is driving all of this. Chad Broxton. Chad Broxton. God, you fucking hate him just based on that name. Just the name Chad. I mean, though. now at his introduction, I will say too, the, the first of two in this episode, first mm-hmm. of, of, of two big kisses mm-hmm. that, that get the audience, ooh. Yeah, we get that, ooh. And um, yeah. I will say too, he he read he read older uh, as an actor. We are going to talk significantly. So yes, uh, uh, he is a tall drink of water. He actually yeah. had to sort of crouch and slouch down a little bit to reach Blair. Very attractive and a million dollar smile and dimples and I mean gorgeous. Yeah. And, the, and and Mrs. Garrett clearly agrees with that oh, assessment. Oh, we have a, we have a moment coming up. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, so his name is Gary Hudson. He is still out there. He is still working. Um, he is one of those people in the 80s who, is he a teenager or is he 35? It's hard to tell the difference. He is, in fact, 27. That's yeah. a little old. For, yeah. mm-hmm. He's 27. And remember, Lisa Welch, old Blair, is 18. Right. Both the actress yes. and the character. Yes. Now, he's playing a college boy. We are talking about that he is a student at Vassar. Yep. Um, but, but before we get to his uh, college, so he's supposed to be no younger than 21 unless he's a graduate student, and that would be, yeah. ugh, I'm not sure we want to go there. Because um, a, a grad student technically would make you 24, and then we're just, it's getting creepy. Getting, She's 18. Yes. She's an adult, but still, yeah, really. Um, he's still working. Next month, he's going to be 64 years old. He's got a bunch of projects in the works on his IMDb page. And um, and he's still in great shape. He looks like he does a lot of uh, tough. His his face is toughened as he's gotten older. So he's playing a lot of older tough guy roles, yeah, like yeah. Uh, the heavy. And I would venture to guess he does a lot of stunt work 
two on the side. I okay. don't know why. I, I presume that he does. Um, so Mrs. Garrett comes in and uh, he says, speaking of lovely ladies, hello, Mrs. G. And she stops and gives us the thing you know that feeds my soul and makes me happier than anything. Flirty. Mrs. Garrett. And her response is, oh, hello. And it is heaven. It is. Absolute heaven. A great moment in, in an episode that does not have enough, Mrs. Mm, Garrett. Uh, agreed. We yes. get some wisdom moments. We do get some wisdom we do. moments. We do. But, um, so this Save the Seals rally is this afternoon. Uh, and all the girls are involved in this because Blair has been in charge. And Blair says that Chad has opened her eyes. The rich don't have to be idle because he is from a prominent wealthy family, but they are involved in causes like this. And we learn that his aunt is a federal judge. His cousin ran for governor, except there was a scandal. Yes. And Mrs. Garrett says, well, before they caught him with that, and she stops her stealth. So yes. short of saying, I don't know if she was going to say prostitute or, or yes. whore or whatever. No, but I mean, you know, first first thing to come to my mind. And, and I've got to say, I truly thought, because I just saw this fresh today, uh, I truly thought, they, to me, it was Chekhov's scandal. I truly thought it was going to be relevant somehow to the subsequent events of the plot. Oh. And, and it was not at all. Oh, that it was going to come back. Nope. nope not nope, at all. Nope. Yeah. What we're trying to establish here is that, well, Blair says it blatantly. Politics are definitely in Chad's future because he's on the student council at Vassar. Right. right. By the way, Vassar is in Poughkeepsie, New York. We are in Peekskill, New York. So not only is he a boy from a different school dating Blair, not only is he a college boy dating a high school girl, we're talking a 45-minute drive. Mm. Yeah. So uh, one can assume they met at the country club, but we'll, we'll talk about that too. Um, but you wonder if this is a Golden Girls thing where they're in Miami. And it's like, oh, my daughter's coming to visit. Well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to take her? Oh, I was thinking we could go to Disney or, you know, stop off to this restaurant in Cocoa Beach that I like. And it's That's like, right. That's right. Those of us in Florida are like, how, how, no. How, how long is your afternoon? Wow. <laughs> For those that don't know, Miami is a solid four to four. Four and a half hours drive from here, yes, from Orlando. So well, we'll give it four because Disney is in the south part of That's right. Central Florida. But That's right. it's like you would spend more of your day driving than at the theme park. Oh, far more, yes. Uh, so you wonder if it was just oh, Poughkeepsie's close to Peekskill. Yeah, sure, sure. Throw that in there. At least they didn't. It, well, at least it wasn't Syracuse or Ithaca or right. something right. even crazier. <laughs> but um, he. Uh, Blair is acting uncharacteristically awkward around him and stumbling over her words. But fortunately, he thinks it's adorable, and he compliments her on her clothes. Why, I don't know, because her blouse is pretty fugly. <laughs> it has... Uh, it's what I would normally call a Dorothy Michaels blouse, which I've talked about many times. It's got especially puffy sleeves, giving yes. her a lot more width than the shoulders. Yes, it does. But the collar is completely bare. There is no collar. It just, like, swags from shoulder to shoulder. Um, and so, therefore, it looks fussy on the sides and too blank in the middle without a string of pearls or something because it is matronly really mm -hmm. um but whatever 
it's a yellow blouse. And so he says to her, uh, I really like that blouse. And she says, oh, it's new. And he says, didn't they have it in blue? And Blair's like, don't you like the yellow one? And he's like, well, I like the way you look in anything, but you look particularly nice in blue. And Blair's like, you're right. Yellow makes me sallow and sick and jaundiced. And Mrs. Garrett's like, he didn't say that. (laughs) And he says, well, when everything else is perfect, a thing like this stands out like a wart. (laughs) And Blair says, thank you. And from Mrs. Garrett, we get a Tex Avery level. Yes. Mouthing of, thank you? Like, did she... Ri- <laughs> oh? Yes. You, you, could, you could read that from five houses down the block. Oh, my God. It was like, for the balcony. <laughs> oh, it was so insanely broad. And um, I'm not saying it wasn't funny. Oh, no. It got a huge laugh. I am still laughing now. Yeah. No, it was was hilariously (laughs) funny, but it was one of those like, girl, you put a (laughs) lot of effort into that laugh. So then he's ready to go. And before he leaves with all of their posters and their envelopes and stuff that they've worked on, Blair invites him to a fundraiser at the country club. And when she says the country club, he goes, oh, the high crest. And I'm thinking, how many fucking country clubs do you guys belong to? And if I'm going to take the narrative leap of faith of assuming the only way you two could have met was through the country club, it would be the country club yes. through which you met. <laughs> not, That's not, what I need. Not one of them. But yeah. Uh, so it's like, how many fucking country clubs? But anyway, she invites him and he is, um, oh, and she says, it's, uh, for, it's a fundraiser for saving our streams. And I thought, you know, seals swim in streams, right? And he just goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, it's a week from Thursday and I won't wear this blouse. And he said, well, it's hard to make plans in advance. And she says, make it a maybe. And if you change your mind, I'll understand. And so he says, okay. And then he leaves and he makes a cute joke. Thank you. And the seals say, or, or, and then off he goes. No. Yeah. <laughs> and we get a beautiful Natalie moment as the audience kind of laughs and that laughter dies down on his exit. Uh, Natalie does one of those beautiful <laughs> Blair. Yes. Like what the yes. fuck are you doing? A, a very well executed transition. There. Her razor yes. sharp. We are, it's, it, you know, it was some, it took a little on the job training, but this is where you're being very aware of how razor sharp Mindy Cohn's timing yes. has grown in, in these four years. So, uh, they were like, what, the, what are you do? You're letting him change it to a no. And Blair's like, I was afraid to ask him. Oh, I hope he doesn't have something better going on. And they're like, what is wrong with you? You never act this way with boys. And Blair says, maybe for the first time in my life, I'm really in love. Long hold. Oh, such a long hold. Long pause. Somebody <laughs> please call cut. <laughs> and then we dissolve. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> All of the tension in that scene was that long hold at the end. True. So true. Yes. So then we end up in the cafeteria again. Time has passed. We're wearing new clothes. Uh... As I've said before, these girls who are full-time students and have this debt to pay back where they are responsible for making three meals a day, seven days a week for 200 students. They have time to write posters, uh, 
and stuff envelopes. All the extracurriculars, you know, we had a we had a school play last mm-hmm. week where they were writing and everybody was somehow involved in either the publicity or the house management or the costume design. They have time for all these extracurriculars. And now we have some other weekendly downtime where uh, they're sitting around playing chess. Yes. Just chilling. And Blair is kind of pacing around and we learned she's waiting for Chad to call. And expositionally, they're like, I can't believe you're walking around waiting for Chad to call. That's all you do. You never go out with anybody but him. And he's completely consuming your life. So that's what's going on here. And then the phone rings. Blair dashes to the phone. And then we have a chance for the other three of them to be like, this is crazy. She's really going overboard. She took everything yellow out of her closet. She won't even eat bananas anymore. <laughs> oh, writers. Oh, my. And then Joe says, this won't last. And I quote, Blair doesn't get sweaty palms over some guy. And Blair comes running in, all flustered and happy, wiping her hands on her skirt like her palms are sweaty. And nothing is said about it. But Blair's like, he changed this maybe to a yes. He's, gonna t- he's coming to that fundraiser. Thank goodness I can breathe again. End of scene. Dissolve to. Cafeteria, yet another day, and yet different costumes. It is now the night of the fundraiser. I, I, I do recall actually being a little bit, uh, because that transition, because that scene ended so abruptly, yeah. that I didn't, I didn't think that much passage of time had gone by. So once I ended, oh, we're all the way into next week. Yeah, it was a week from the opening scene. It yeah. was a week from next Thursday. So... We assume that scene one was a weekend, because we're in street clothes. Scene two had to be a week later on the subsequent weekend. So now it is the night of that, because she, I believe she said a Thursday. So yeah, now somehow they're in their street clothes cleaning up after dinner. And it's like, why wouldn't they have still been in their school uniforms? Why would they have bothered to change clothes? To change, right, yes. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also, once she, once she shows up, Blair is now in blue. Mm-hmm. And I remember registering some surprise that she, had, that she didn't maybe have, after the first scene in which he tells her how good she'd look in blue, I was surprised that she didn't just immediately show up in the next scene in blue. Oh. As though just, a, you know, just as a thing of, of you know. Yeah. Oh, suddenly uh, she's wearing blue all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. That totally could have been a but, thing. But it waited an entire week for her to. Yeah, it was like a uh, pinky magenta sort of a blouse. Yeah, and, yeah. and a pretty one. That actually wasn't too bad. Um, so, yeah. And Blair is in this crazy 1980s prom dress. It is blue and it's like a deep royal blue. It's oh, yes. shiny. And the stripes are clearly a non-shiny black. So I imagine it was like a black velvet and a shiny blue, which would have been very 80s. And I kind of... Love this dress for nostalgia reasons, even though it's really fugly. And um, she is sitting there like, like what? what's the character, Miss Miss Habersham? Who's the character from Great Expectations? That is... That, that, I believe you're correct. Still, like she's still in her wedding dress right. kind I, of a thing. I believe you're, you got the name right. But yes. she's sitting there like poised and prepped and just staring off into space. <laughs> and the girls are cleaning up after dinner... And thankfully, the girls at Eastland have very good appetites because they leave no food on their plates. Not a bit. They leave crumpled napkins. And um, Mrs. Garrett <laughs> gathers the others together. And in true 
sitcom style, they are maybe six feet away from her. And they're like, she's been sitting there for hours. And it's like, is he late? And they're like, no, she's early. What? Blair's never early for... It's like, she can hear you. She's right there. She is sitting right there. <laughs> well, this line, no. She was, she was born two weeks early, and that was the last time she was... Early. Early. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, they're even making jokes about it. So, um, anyway. Mrs. Garrett is trying to sort of make light of it, keep the mood light. And she's like, do you maybe want to walk around and get the circulation back in your legs? And as she leans over and offers her something to eat, by the way, Mrs. Garrett's a little tie in the front of her blouse falls into the food. It's sitting there right on what is clearly plates of fake food. Yes. Finally, Chad shows up and he is wearing a three-piece blue-gray suit. Three-piece suit does not help the case to make a young man... No, no, he looked... Look... He, younger. He, he looked thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah. He if he didn't look almost, if he didn't look questionably thirty-five before three-piece suit was the was the last nail in the coffin there where it's like yeah he looks like a grown up. Oh yeah. He comes in and he compliments her and Blair's happy and they kiss and there's more woo. Now here's here's the thing. So during that second woo, which is inevitable, mm-hmm. in the background of that shot, you had Natalie who all of a sudden looked excited and happy that and the kiss smiling. was happening. Smiling. Yes. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Moments ago, you and everyone else were saying, right. this is no good. He's, you know. Yeah. Uh, She's going over the top. This is crazy. So I assume that was a bit of direction more than a maybe a choice that I, I do not the know. Actress made. I don't Other know. Other than Natalie's just always horny. Well, that could be. Yeah. That could be. I don't approve, but oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah. Agreed. agreed. That could be. That could be. So then he's like, I love your hair. It looks so pretty the way it cascades over your shoulders. Have you ever thought about cutting it all off? And it was a funny line because it was so out of left field. So out of left field. And and again, here, I thought that this was Chekhov's request for short hair. I was sure that she would cut her hair. That and in the next scene, she yes. would yeah, look like um, Helen Slater in The Legend of Billie Jean yes, or something. Yes, or, or Fantine in Les Mis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Especially as portrayed by Anne Hathaway. Oh, uh, my God. Looking you know, absolutely hopeless. But anyway, uh, and I guess it's a sort of spoiler. That d- does not happen. No. And um, Blair is like, should I? Should I cut my hair? And he's like, well, short hair is in. Not every face can handle it, but I'm sure it would look great on you. And if I'm wrong, it'll always grow back. Ha, ha, ha. And so it's like, well, we better get going. And Mrs. Garrett, they try to do a visual joke, and it doesn't quite land. Mrs. Garrett's like, well, you kids should be off. And she broadly, in the sense of I'm trying to sneak past them, but does so in a broadly obvious way, reaches over to a table where there happens to be a pair of scissors that she grabs. Like, I'm afraid Blair might yes. grab the scissors and start hacking her hair off right now. Right now. Or, or that Chad might. Who knows? Uh, I, I would hope not. But <laughs> Yes. So we and we're still in Act One of this. I know we're talking a lot here, but we're still in the first half of this episode. Dissolve to the parlor, the lounge later the same yes. night, and once again, no homework, no food prep, no pre-chopping of broccoli. It's Natalie and Tootie and Mrs. Garrett are sitting down doing a puzzle because they're all eighty. 
Well, it's those other 190 some kids that are just doing all of the all of the hard work. I guess. And this is also a public parlor space as yes. the cafeteria. So it's kind of like, does nobody ever come here to play or at least, oh, I'm just going to grab I'm going to grab one of the puzzles because we're also 80 and bring it back to my dorm. But um, anyway, Blair comes home and she just looks stunned. She is just almost in a daze. She looks confused, lost in thought. And I mean, something is clearly wrong. Not that anyone else in the room notices. Hey, Blair, how was your day? Did you save any streams? I've never had an experience like that in my life. And Mrs. Garrett's like, oh, I know. Fundraisers can be so moving. Read the room! (laughs) Jesus Christ! Not Blair, what is wrong? <laughs> Natalie looked less upset when she came home and was almost raped. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I mean, it's a sitcom trope, but it's just I'm covering my face. I wish yes. I wish my listeners could see I'm covering my face as I do this because it is so frustrating <laughs> that to sort of set up the misunderstand. I don't know where they find the humor in that. Right. I don't know where they think that that's funny. Where it's like a person clearly is in distress or needs help or needs to be seen. Yes. And, and they're not seeing and, them. And, and, and they'll take advantage of the slight ambiguity of her initial statement yeah. and and amplify to, oh, well, that must have been wonderful. Yeah, well, clearly it was a positive <laughs> good thing to which you are referring. Not I'm reading from your expression, your body language, from your tone of voice and the words that you're saying that something is clearly fucking wrong. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, um, so... They say, uh, did Chad have a good time? And long story short, Brad introduced him around. So clearly this is not Chad's country club. She had to introduce him around. So this is a different country country club. club. So maybe they didn't meet at the country club. Maybe they met at a Save the Wheels. Who knows? Um, So she showed him around. He met some other families. And he met this other girl. And they left together. And... That is distressing news, Daryl. It, it is. But even more distressing, the name of the girl. Do you remember? I, I, I believe it was Millie Hotchkiss. Millie Hotchkiss? What? <laughs> Millie? Hotchkiss. Uh, it, I just want to say, if, you and I were alive in 1983. <laughs> there were no people under the age of 70. Named Millie. Named Millie. In 1983. No. 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 Well, let's see. Okay. Uh, A good friend of mine had a mom who was probably in her late 30s at that time. Who was was named Mildred and went by Millie. Or even Millicent. We could give you a Millicent. Millicent Millicent was Um, name of a girl in the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Played by Melissa Sue Anderson later on. Little House on the Prairie. But um, Uh, Millie. But but yeah. uh, But but to add Hotchkiss. And then Hotchkiss. It's like, is that a character from Lil Abner? (laughs) Is she best friends with Sadie Hawkins? (laughs) It's just such an epic writing fail. (laughs) <laughs> Epic. So the last, before we go to our commercial, the big, long cliffhanger, before the long, long, uncomfortable pause before the fade to commercial. Boy, it wasn't. They're like, oh, well, fuck that, Chad. They're better fish in the sea. And she says, I don't want any others. I want Chad. He had better call me tomorrow. 
I'll just die if he doesn't call me again. And that's it. So it's like yeah. Blair is shit ain't right with Blair over this that's boy. Right. That's right. And that's very upsetting. And uh, honestly, it's a good it's a good character exploration for Blair because she has always been so rock solid right. in understanding her desirability and the charms that she possesses. In maybe a longer format with better writing, mm-hmm. you could persuade us that a person could be attractive enough to, uh, to put you into that frame of mind. Because it certainly happens to all of us. Yeah. At this fade, I thought, okay, I don't remember this episode well enough to remember. I hope we're given more information to better understand what it is about this guy that is throwing Blair so far off her game. That's right. And sadly, we don't really ever get it. We don't. And uh, thinking about, well, what could they have done that I wanted? What notes would I send in my time machine back to the writers? And all I could think of is, maybe this is Blair's first college boy. Maybe she has, for all intents and purposes, conquered. It's her senior year. She's been dating boys from Bates and... I can't imagine Blair hasn't dated some college boys before. That's the only trouble with this thing, is that uh, to to try and figure out what makes him so, even if she... Okay, so let's take that out of the equation, and let's consider maybe, is it a status thing? Is it a, he comes from a political family, he is so cute, he is so handsome. I've always been dating boys not really thinking about a future, but suddenly he's a person who clearly has big things down the road, and I'm suddenly imagining myself in that picture. Right. And you know, so, and so, this is my senior year. I've got to right. start thinking like that. That's right. And so yeah, so so I could see, I could see, and if the show had somehow expressed this somehow, mm-hmm. uh, I could see her thinking or imagining, fantasizing a future in which she belongs to an important family. Yeah. All of a sudden. Um, and can then be uh, influential and uh, important. Yeah. Uh, in a way that doesn't just come from her money. Yeah. Um, I could see that, but they didn't They didn't go there at no, all. No, they didn't. It, it truly seemed to be, uh, boy, he's a smoke show. Uh, yeah. And and I'm completely helpless. Yeah. And, and we know <laughs> she's not having sex. We know it's right? not an issue of no, no. the stuff he does in the bedroom. No. It's like, no, that's not happening. So, um, yeah, that would be the, the, the thing I would love uh, to have understood better. So that's the first half of my thoughts. And I do have another sort of thing to tack onto that, but I think we better to do it at the end after we've gone through the second act of the show. Sure. We're in the cafeteria. We're in school uniforms. Hallelujah. I don't have to look at the ugly street clothes anymore. So it's a school day. And um, the girls are, the girls are there and there's talk that Blair has been distracted and he hasn't called. Blair says there must be a good explanation. Well, after this buildup, Mrs. Garrett says, well, I don't want to tell you this, but unfortunately, I'm an honest person. Chad did call. And Tootie and Natalie are immediately like, what? Why would you tell her that? And of course, Mrs. Garrett's like, because I'm not a fucking liar. Like, clearly you two are. Because I have a moral compass and I've taught you nothing in the last four years. 
But um, the long and short of it is the message he left behind was that he and his friends are going skiing in Vermont tomorrow. So this is presumably a Friday. And we don't know how long it's been. Was is this this couldn't be just the day after? No, I wouldn't. I think, think it's a so. week later. Probably a week later. Yeah. Um, but and then oh, it it's one sense. of those a day after is too soon. A week later is almost too long. But anyway. Um so she said so if she wants to go, she needs to call him before seven AM tomorrow morning. And Blair starts to dash to the phone, and God bless her, Joe blocks her. And Joe says, no, you are not calling him. Yes. And Natalie quickly joins in the human barricade between her and the phone and says, no, no, yeah, you're right. Joe is right. What if he does something like that to you again? And I, Blair says, what about... I, I was going to say, at the moment that Joe said, no, you're not calling him at all, I was like, all right, Joe invents ghosting. Yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Blair says, what does it matter? I love him. And now, the Mrs. Garrett wisdom. And um, I'm not going to do it in the voice, because it is actually kind of lovely what she says. And I think this needs to be said more, yeah. really. She says, Blair, what I see doesn't look like love. I have never seen you so nervous about what to say and what to wear. You're so anxious. You're walking on eggshells all the time. That's not love. Love is supposed to make you feel good. Right. And totally true, I gotta say. Uh, yeah. That I'm is, like, these that are... Is totally true. So one of the others says, you wouldn't treat anyone that way. And and they thankfully don't say, for how on the nose some of the writing often is, uh, so why would you let someone treat you that way? They don't say right. that, but thankfully right. that's the implication. And Blair says, you're right. I'm going to call him and tell him no. Once again, Joe... Arms crossed, standing. No, you don't call him at all. And Blair says, well, I'll never make it if I have until 7 o'clock in the morning. And Mrs. Garrett says, you'll take it one hour at a time. And Joe says, and we'll do anything to keep your mind off of him. And Blair says, anything. And Joe says, anything. Cut to wide shot. Cut to slow fade. For the couple of times in this series when they've done a hard cut, not common, but it has right. been done, right. this would have been a perfect chance it would have. for a hard cut. I, it would have. And I was, I was even thinking, this would be a good time for a hard cut to something like they took her to Chuck E. Cheese or something, something outside, something, uh -huh. something outside of the school, something a little more unusual. I know. Just keep her away. Exactly. Yeah. Because we didn't have cell phones then. It's not like right. she could have... Right. Anyway. Um, so then from there, we go to the bedroom where Joe, it's sort of a close-up-ish angle of Joe with her face covered in makeup and rollers in her hair. So what Blair's uh, plot is to distract her is to give Joe a makeover. Yes. And uh, apparently it was Natalie's idea. Tootie tries to take a picture. Joe threatens her with bodily harm. Not really much else happens in this scene other than what time is it? It's only 4.30. So it's only been like an hour and a half. That's like, right. it hasn't been long. And, and, and Natalie gives us sort of gleeful, optimistic summations of how much time is yeah. left. Yeah, Natalie is very gleefully <laughs> on board with this, even though she was gleefully watching them kiss just yes. a week ago. <laughs> so then the next scene, we're in the darkened kitchen. Blair comes down. She goes, 
across through the cafeteria, over to the parlor. She goes to the phone, picks it up, but then puts it down. She almost leaves, looks back, but then changes her mind again. Then she goes into the kitchen. She goes to the fridge and takes out some food. What does she take out of the fridge, Daryl? It it is a big hunk of meat. It's like a roast or a leg of lamb Uh, or a... Two-thirds of a turkey. It's big. It's a big hunk of... Yeah, it has a bone in it. It has a bone in it. And it it is a bone-in roast, and yet it looks like a leftover. It would have to be. It would have to be. You wouldn't have it just sitting around cooked. Right. Uh, So it's just... But you you and I both are like, we're not sure... Venison? Is it... it, It's it's this neutral, nondescript... Roast yes. of meat. Of some, some kind of animal. It's roast beast yes. from Whoville. <laughs> uh, so down comes Joe. Joe wearing her man pajamas and having a blanket wrapped around her. And Blair says she's just getting a snack. It's fine. And Joe's like, no, nope, I'm sitting with you. I'm not leaving your side. So um, they end up in the parlor. Blair tries to get Joe to go to bed. And she says, I'm not tired. So it's like, this is, we're here. That's right. And, and, and I noticed too, when, when she, when, when Blair leaves the kitchen, she hasn't just cut off a little bit, a few slices of meat to take into the other room as a snack. Oh, no. Just picks up the whole roast on a plate. Whole fucking and... thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. This is one of the things I love the most about this episode. And this actually, um, for the faults in this episode, what we're about to experience is glorious because this is just the cement to the beautiful frenemy relationship between Blair and Joe where for all the insults that go back and forth for all the um the hatred they spew to each other on the surface this is the perfect no no when the chips are down we are friends and we are there for each other and it is it is quite quite beautiful so then we dissolve to the roast pretty much picked clean. Yeah. Like, this bitch has been chewing at it. <laughs> this was supposed to be a midnight snack. Yes. And uh-uh, this has turned a, into a meal. Uh, this was, yes. That roast could have fed 12 people, yes. I would gather. Yes. But um, they're just talking. I, I know, too, that, I mean, it, it, it wasn't designed to, to get a laugh. It wasn't presented as a gag. It was just an incidental you just you notice that oh she seems to have eaten the whole thing, but I, I didn't feel like they were setting it up as an this is how nervous she is. No, this wouldn't be normal. Look how nervous she is. She didn't even notice she ate this whole roast. It was just uh, passage of time. Yeah, is really all I think they were yeah. going for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're talking, and Blair says, "Sometimes I think I'm going crazy. I remember every moment I've spent with him. I think about him all the time." And I question, what if I had done this? What if I had said that? I never knew there was so much wrong with me until Chad. And then it goes into a fairly tight close-up of Joe. And angrily, Joe glares at her and says, maybe there wasn't until Chad. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think that line reading was too angry. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that the, the, what she's saying is perfect. Yes, that it's that it's an yeah. incredibly supportive thing to say. Matthew Arder would argue that she's angry that Blair is still hung up over a dude when Joe is right there next to her. Yes. And then we dissolve to Joe falling asleep and Blair telling some silly stories of a rich person 
And the punchline is just, well, I've been through my share of trauma. It's about the color of the pony and her poodle dying. And it's really just another utilitarian scene to show they're still up together and time is passing. Not going to dwell on it. And then in the next little vignette, they're in the blanket together. They've got the blanket wrapped around both of them, which is really kind of lovely. And it's okay. And Blair says, I still get butterflies when I think about him. And Joe says something to the effect of, you only feel that way because he's the only person that doesn't think you're perfect. And if he did think you were perfect, would you have gone so crazy for him? And Blair does somewhat kick back into Blair mode where she says, well, if I'm not perfect, and that's a big if, laugh, right? it's not his place to say so. And Joe says, right. It's my place. Oh, frenemies, I could yes. cry. It was that, so beautiful. That is, that's a, a very good moment. Such a beautiful moment in their friendship. I'm so, so... Oh, it brought me such happiness and glee. Th- this is another one of those things that could have been developed a little bit more. Is it the fact that every boy has fawned over her? Every boy... Right. Has Blair ever been given the runaround? Did he play hard to get when she first tried to pursue him? Right. And it was one of those, well, I had to try so hard yep. to get him to go out with me. I can't let go now. It was, yep. this is the fruit of my labor. That's, the, that's right. That's the, the sunk cost fallacy in action. The what now? Uh, the, the sunk cost fallacy, which is if you have expended a lot of energy trying to achieve something, then even when the evidence mounts up that it's bad for you, mm. you've sunk a lot of time and energy into it. And part of you is like, I have to see this through. Oh. When the right thing to do is to say, oh, no. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. Yeah. Uh, but it's called the sunk cost. Sunk cost fallacy. And- fallacy. So then we dissolve. They, they, they have that moment, and then they kind of lean over and clearly are going to get some rest. And then the next morning, they're on the couch, both asleep, sharing the blanket. Again, so lovely to see physical connection and affection between the two of them because we don't get that they so often are verbally sparring right this is a beautiful beautiful thing uh blair wakes up and she wakes up joe and she says joe wake up we can go to sleep now (laughs) yes (laughs) it's 7 22 we made it we're in the clear they hug and the phone rings don't so joe answers and this odd little thing happens between them. Joe answers the phone and she says, yeah, hello. And then she doesn't say what is said. And she looks over at Blair covering the receiver. Yeah. And they both burst out laughing. Yes. Now, I found that quite brilliant and quite relatable. Oh, did you? I did. I, I'm like, they're, I think they're trying to play that it's early and they're punchy. They haven't yeah, slept and I, much. And I, I think that's I think that's probably it. And yet, uh, sometimes I think that... I think I've been on the other end of the phone in similar circumstances. Oh. <laughs> where um, it's a tension relief. They've just spent a whole night being very tense about this. Yeah. And it's here, and it's just... It's, you know, and then they have to... Oh, it, problem solved. It's all over. Phone rings, yeah, and it's not over yet, and it's preposterous, and that, it's preposterous. Yeah. It's not over yet, and so it's just funny, and I totally get that psychologically. That seems sound to me. That seemed very okay to me. To me, it was a little borderline. They were almost acting like they were drunk. A little like sure. Joe. Joe was trying to play up like the shh, 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 
kind of a thing. I mean, it is early in the morning. You're going to wake somebody up. If we laugh too loud, we're going to wake them up. So it, it was not dishonest what she was playing. But uh, yeah, I, I see what you mean. This was my... This was a little weird for me. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. It wasn't a big problem. We're just going to say and state that 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 did happen. But again, continuing connection between them. They mm -hmm. both had yep. the same reaction. Yep. So she finally says, I'll find out. So she says, he's telling me, Blair, that they got a late start and there's still room in the car if you want to go. Do you want to go? And Blair says, yeah, but I don't want to want to go. And then she pauses and says, I don't want to go. She processes yep. and yeah, that's it. So she says, I'll tell him, give me the phone. Then Joe says, okay, I'll tell him. And Blair says, no, give me the phone. So Blair takes the phone and the slow, <laughs> dramatic, but they honestly, they've kind of earned this. And I they love did earn it. it. They did I earn love it. it. Yes. Where Blair gets on the phone and just as she's about to talk, she looks at Joe and the receiver slowly moves away from her face and she slowly rests it down and hangs up. That's right. And it, and it, and, and with, uh, I mean, I mean, it was the, the, the perfect arc of her hand over yes. to the, it was, the, it could not have been choreographed better by Bob Fosse. It no, that's right. It really was. And very slow. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a chance you take at, yeah. at it being risible, but it, I think it worked. Um, and at the same time, and I've thought this a couple times when I've been watching older media, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it's just not as dramatic to turn your phone off, to just hit the oh, no. to call button. Yeah. And I couldn't make a similar moment of just raising my finger way up in the air and slowly bringing it down <laughs> toward the screen. Uh, I don't think I could make that work in the same way that putting that big receiver back on the yeah. hook. Uh, and, and we don't have the benefit of, you know... Of slamming down the you receiver. You God, slam, that felt so good you when you wanted to slam this when you wanted to hang yeah. up on somebody and you were mad to slam it and to hear the the ringer in the phone go ding. That's you, right. You oh, it was the most psychologically satisfying thing. Satisfying to do, and you understood it if you saw it in a TV show or a movie. Oh God, yes. That that was something, and so we don't we don't have that. Uh, you know, I boy, we we've, we've gained a lot of other things. Yeah, uh, in but, losing that, but I suppose, that is something but. we lost really. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it, it doesn't mean it was a better world. Just, no. <laughs> just it was a lot of fun to slam the phone down. It was. It was so much fun. <laughs> that and prank calling people before caller oh ID gosh, happened. I did, I did far too much of that. Uh, yeah, we both did. Everybody did. That was a that was a rite of passage when you were a kid. It sure was. Was to do prank calls. Now, so yeah, the the clap track does come in. It's the new clap track, not the old one. Uh, so it's a little slower. But part of me is kind of like. Uh, for the many times this show has had silent credits rolling, this could have worked with that. They, like I said, they had earned it. Yeah. And it was a big moment. The thing I think the episode is lacking, the second half of what I was starting with earlier, you kind of already answered the question, is that what we were missing at this point was not taking this phone call was the symptom of whatever disease Blair had. Yeah. We still didn't quite get to what the cause of it was. And you totally hit upon it, where the cause of it could have been how hard she worked to get this boy to notice her. Yeah. And um, I would have liked it if they had somehow explored that. The 
they get near it with Blair. What is wrong with you? What is it about this boy that makes yeah. him so special? That is, why is he different than all the many, many others right. that we know you have flirted with, dated, and uh, and successfully proven to yourself your own desirability? Right. So what yeah. is? Why is he the one shaking that foundation? That's right. So if yeah, we've gotten any clue as to how somehow. He represented a possibility for her that was new. Mm. Uh, that would have it wouldn't have taken much, I yeah. suppose. But uh, and and that she had put a lot of work into it. There we right. fixed this, it, Daryl. It, it had yeah. It, it 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 had not been easy. It had not like every other one had been effortless. She had been in control of her own yeah. feelings and and the situation at all times. And so it's the first time. Which which would be interesting. I mean, in in, in any storytelling, uh, that would be an interesting arc to see to see someone thrown by. Yeah, a new person in a way that never happened before, and then find themselves making choices they wouldn't have made, being obsessed with or, uh, you know, bothered by things that would never have bothered them. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're at the end of another episode, Daryl. We we are. Now, our, typically, yeah. I ask my guests about a commercial uh, that they remember from their childhood, but um, I, I don't know that. I could have you top Sweden House and the jingle that you sang for Sweden me. House would be hard to top. Well, well, you know what? what? I can I can go back to to uh, maybe seventy seven, seventy eight for you. Do it, and and to a theme park. Uh huh. That's not from Orlando, but uh, the the original Magic Mountain theme park in California. It's now Six Flags Mag- Magic Mountain. Okay, sure, yeah. But at this time, it was just Magic Mountain. It it had not yet been acquired by Six Flags. Okay, and and. I spent summers with in California, my dad's home, nearly mm-hmm. every summer during my adolescence. So sometimes these regional things that you wouldn't have seen elsewhere. Oh yeah, in the yeah. Country. But um, I think they had they had built a, a, an extended sort of kids oriented land in Magic Mountain, which was kind of thrill ride oriented, and they had okay. built something that kids could play around in. And I remember this tune. Okay. <clears throat> You can meet a real-life wizard who's got tricks right up his sleeve. You can hang around in cargo nets, get lost inside Swiss cheese. You're trapped inside the jungle, just give the bag a whop. In you find the beanpole valley, you might sink into its swamp. You can fly around on gliders holding both your feet aloft. Magic Mountain's revolution, it'll knock your little socks flat off. Wow. Once again, like the Sweden house where they... they, they, Odd little rhymes that stuck with me. They don't write them like that anymore. They don't write them like they that They don't anymore. write them like they and, used and this, to. So I'll, I'll, I'll just fly out from a left field here with something else. Just I want to make sure and mention Yeah. Uh, that uh, several months from now, in the month of May, mm-hmm. I have the, an, the lusty month of the May. The lusty month mm-hmm. of May. I have got an original musical show at Fringe. At the Coming to the Fringe. Orlando International Fringe Festival. Coming to the Orlando International Fringe Festival. So just so your listeners will know to look for it, uh, it is called... Down to the Bone, Ooh. the best of Jake Largo. And uh, I will be appearing as Jake Largo, who is oh. a, a, a down-on-his-luck, wanted-to-be-a-country superstar, and uh, he's 55 now and playing at the Fringe Festival, hoping that maybe now his country career will get that jump start it's needed for so long. I, so I have written original country music nice. uh, for this show. Uh, you will you will learn a lot about Jake, who I would put in the lovable loser category, I suppose. Nice. Uh, co-starring with me uh, will be Casey Joe Hibbert, the wonderful. Yes, and mm-hmm. she will be playing Jake's third ex-wife. 
No, wow. Yes, uh, and this would be one of the cases, uh, one of those things where uh, a middle-aged guy sometimes will marry much too young. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, and it, that just about never works out, and it certainly has not in this case. Wow. So, now you are a composer. Are you a yes. book writer as well, or book lyrics and music all by me? Man, in this case, yes. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to see but it. I've put the bug in the ear of every listener now. Of all my fives of listeners. <laughs> We hope you will be there at the Orlando Fringe Festival in May. Thank you so much for coming back, for being a return guest. Always my pleasure. I'm sorry I couldn't uh, give you something as thrilling as abortion this time, but... No, that's all right. I love repeat guests. I'm thrilled that you are back. And for some reason, multiple episodes, I've caught myself saying, so, smooches and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye and, and smooches, as, as long as they're consensual. And there you have it. That was Daryl Pickett. I have nothing to add. I said everything that needed to be said during the show. And I have very little voice left, so therefore that's a good thing. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 4, Episode 14, called Under Pressure. And I will be joined by another special guest. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>